I like how these recordings continue to get earlier and earlier. Me too, actually. Um, I did wake up at 7 o'clock this morning to do my research. <laughs> <laughs> Woman, we knew this plan. <laughs> I've been busy. I know. everyone and welcome to episode 118 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? Good morning. I am, I'm great. How are, how are, I'm, I'm. You look sleepy. I'm tired. You got no beer in front of you. Instead you got Orange juice. juice. <laughs> Orange juice. But it's got some pineapple in it, so it's fancy. Oh, oh getting a little tropical, are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're just feeling it today. Um, Yeah, it is the Saturday before Homegrown starts. Yep, yep, yep. And just very busy. Yeah. In the best way. It's Oh, for sure. It is very fun being on the homegrown committee. I'm enjoying it oh, a lot. Right. Yeah, you you really are gonna be busy this week. Oh, I have everything mapped out. Oh good. And put on a fridge. Like oh. on the fridge. On a fridge. <laughs> on just a <laughs> random fridge. I just I went into somebody's house. All like, of the here. fridges have Kayla's map on them. Across but Duluth. I put all the times and places that I have to be. Oh and then okay. the things I wanted to be at. So the things that I have to do as part of the committee and then the shows that I want to listen to either way so that at any point, if Sean can't get a hold of me. Oh, he's like, I know where to find her. I know where she is. She's that here. Is She's smart. here. Yep. That yep. is smart. I should get a copy of Steve's schedule. I honestly still have not made my schedule. Tons of people don't. I do. I've I've tried the approach of just uh, like going into homegrown and just feeling it out. I hate it. I hate I, it too. I like to have a plan. Well, I do know that I'm going to be scheduling all the events for Ellipsis. Yeah. Later to today. That's on my list. After recording this and then editing this and then doing next Sunday's Duluth Local Show, I'm going to do all of the homegrown <laughs> posts. And at that point, I'll have a schedule. Well, by the time this episode comes out, we will officially be on day four of Homegrown, halfway through the festival. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's Western Wednesday, meaning everyone needs to dress up in your best cowboy clothes and head out to West Duluth, because each day has a theme. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah Western Wednesday, trick-or-treat Thursday, where you can wear your Halloween costumes out over into Superior, formal Friday, sexy Saturday. It's going to be great. Um. I've got a ton of my favorite bands I'm ready to see Big Into. Yeah. Bryn yeah, Major, yeah. Never Together, Boogeyman, and Torment, if you like, for the metal crowd. I'm not much of a metalhead, uh, but I appreciate the fact that they're represented in our in our music festival. And then Saturday starts with Kickball, and then I play Pet Band for Kickball, and then bands like God's Holy Blood, a band called Truman, Bratwurst, Big Wave Dave and the Ripples, who uh, you adore. I love them. And I love a band called Truman as well. 
And I am very blessed to have two of my bands. This is me plugging my bands. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you to to mention for the locals where to find you. So this is perfect. You already <laughs> got it. You already got it mapped out. Band, obviously. a band and group, uh, Duluth Dolls Burlesque Troupe. I will mm-hmm. be emceeing for them at Studio Four on Saturday night, and then we close out Homegrown Saturday uh, with Vin Sigelhosen. Wait, you're the last one on Saturday at the Rex. Yep. God damn, girl, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, it's if if you're listening to this and you're local and you haven't gone out. Week-long passes will still be available, or you can get just a weekend pass. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to pay for a week-long pass or a weekend pass, I'm sure by the time Wednesday rolls around, we will still have some volunteer slots open. If you volunteer for one shift, which is like two and a half hours Mm -hmm. of putting wristbands on people and making sure they're wearing wristbands before they walk in the door, you do that, you get into the festival for free. Just throwing that out there. You're uh, really doing the committee thing because she's also wearing a button that says, we need you. Ask me about volunteering. Oh, yes, yes. And you know what? I've had like three people ask me since I put it on last night. So it works. Damn. <laughs> well, I'm not going to volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I will pay for my pass. Thank uh, you. Well, I get them for free, actually. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> uh, so Homegrown is encompassing my entire life right now. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good. Uh, kept doing everything around homegrown is encompassing my entire <laughs> life right now. Uh, but I'm actually really excited for the the Duluth local show that I'm putting on, that I'm putting together that will air next Sunday. Okay. After the like the last day of the festival, because I was going through my homegrown guides and I was looking at all of the bands that I loved that aren't bands anymore. Oh yeah. So I'm literally doing a entire show of bands that don't exist anymore. History, history of Duluth local show. Sort of, but no history information, just bands that don't exist anymore. And me saying, God, I miss Southwire. <laughs> and so on. And so on and so forth. Dang, wasn't wasn't the horror cool? I'm gonna play the horror too. Yep, I <laughs> yeah. I love the horror. I Ugh. wish I had some bad Miranda, but I don't. <laughs> Well, we're both busy little bees, being busy, bees, buzz, 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 buzz. So I think we should <laughs> hop into the story, don't you? Yeah, but first we should uh, take a little breaky-poo. Breaky-poo. <laughs> for our sponsors. Okay, maybe it's too early. You know, like, like I like that our, our recordings are getting earlier, but it might be too early for us. We're like... Breaky-poo. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we doing? Uh, I'm calling us bees, buzz, buzz. <laughs> We turned into children. <laughs> <laughs> if it's before noon, uh, we are apparently toddlers. So. Yeah, it's 10 a.m., which is not early, but I woke up at 7. <laughs> so this thing that I'm about to crack into is not a beer, but a bubbly. <laughs> crack so, into uh, it anyway. Yeah, here we go. And we are back, baby. Back, baby. So, because it's homegrown week... Uh, I feel it's only fitting to do a music-related haunting. Oh, good, because I didn't. <laughs> and that's uh, exactly what I Googled. Music-related music haunting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I came up with a lot of stuff. Uh, the one that first caught my eye was an alternative press article titled 10 Musicians That Had Their Own Real-Life Ghost Adventures. Ooh. 
Some of them we knew about already. For example, I, we discussed Post Malone and his need to touch a Dybbuk box. Yeah. Um, and then I think a lot of people already knew about Corey Taylor's experience ghost hunting. No, I All don't right. even know who that is. Uh, he's a Stone Sour, Slipknot, Corey Taylor. Anyway, he's a big deal. And if you go on YouTube, deal. you can look up Corey Taylor's ghost hunting. Okay. He's pretty dang professional about it. Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't think that just because they're a mus- musician, they wouldn't, you know, put in their all during their ghost hunting. Well, I don't know. I, I watched that Post Malone touches a debug box thing, and that didn't give me much faith in how a musician would handle <laughs> Okay. That man <laughs> has tattoos on his face. <laughs> I don't have much faith in his professionality for anything. <laughs> no offense to my uh, fellow folks who have tattoos on their faces, but he's not. In, he personally is he not inspiring like, much. He looks like he eats cigarettes. Yes, that's yeah, he does, and that's what he said <laughs> last not, time. And I agree. It's not just the tattoos on the face; it's the weird, like half of a mullet, yeah, thing he's got going. It's just it's it's, it's the whole package. It's the vibe. Yeah, I, I'm not. Vibing with his vibe. <laughs> but one um, musician that I was not aware of, is, and what I'm going to talk about today, is The Haunting of Meatloaf. Okay. I saw this on your episode list to make sure, when I was doing my research yeah. this morning, to make sure I wasn't doing the same story as you. I did not even <laughs> think about that. But I do kind of vaguely remember something about Meatloaf being haunted, but I remember zero details. So, we are not talking about the food meatloaf here. If you did not have a dad obsessed with storytelling-style hard rock of the 70s and 80s like me, you may not know who Meatloaf is. Meatloaf, rest in peace, uh, was the creative genius who gave us Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Bat Outta Hell, Modern Girl, and I would do anything for love, but I won't. Do that. Don't forget about his amazing performance in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that's what I was going to say. He also was an actor. He starred as Robert Paulson in Fight Club. He was uh, in Spice World, Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny, uh, Wayne's World, and my personal favorite, Eddie, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Eddie! (laughs) In short, Meatloaf was fucking cool. He was really cool. Yeah, I agree. And as if he needed any help being cooler, he also believed in ghosts. Of course he did. I feel like everyone on the Rocky Horror Picture Show needed to. That that would track. I would think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just all so cool. Every single person, even Barry Bostwick. <laughs> who also believes she, in ghosts, by the way. <laughs> she says, as I take a sip of coffee. <laughs> Even Barry Boston. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before he passed away in January of 2022, he made his one of his last television appearances by teaming up with Taps on Ghost Hunters. I love Taps. They met up in Sulphur Springs, Tennessee, about 100 miles east of Knoxville to check out uh, the Haunted House on the Hill, which is a location I now dibsed on the episode list because it looks pretty interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about Meatloaf himself. Okay. But it's a good episode. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. Perfect. Uh, There are clips available online. If you don't have Discovery Plus to watch the whole episode, you can just kind of watch the clips and get the idea. Mm -hmm. In one clip, Meatloaf 
greets the team with these huge hugs and he seems like super jazzed about the ghost hunting. And it's not the first time he's joined them. Apparently in 2009, he also joined them for a season five episode and has been on a couple other excursions with them as well. Meatloaf says, I am so incredibly honored and thanks to Jason and the team for inviting me out again. And then he like... Before they all, you know, they do their little meeting at the beginning. Before they break up and head inside, Meatloaf just goes, let's rock. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. I love him. He's so, he seems like such a a genuinely good person. Yep. During a Q&A session in 2009, Haas and the team were asked about what it was like filming uh, with Meatloaf. And the crew could not stop singing his praises. They tell a story about how Meatloaf put in a request with his agent to get on the show. Uh-huh. Because he was a big fan. Um. And when his agent never reached out to Taps and the team, he, he just, like, the rock star just, like, reached out to him himself. He's like, all right, fine. My agent isn't going to do it. I'll fucking do it. I want to be on Ghost Hunters. Okay, first of all, rude. I thought that the agent worked for him. Right? So, yeah, no, so Haas said, yeah, he reached out and just said, I'm a big fan of the show. I want to come with you. And they were like, fucking, yeah. You're meatloaf. (laughs) The clip continued on showing segments of the group's spooky investigation before it ended with a still image of meatloaf and the TAPS team that beneath the photo, it says, in memory of our friend meatloaf, 1947 to 2022, written across the screen. Uh, Travel Channel also wrote in the caption of the video, You know, in memory of our friend and fellow paranormal investigator, we were blessed to have spent one last investigation with you. (laughs) So aside from those great clips, there's also some more in-depth stuff that happened during the episode. During one scene, Meatloaf told investigator Sherry, somebody's touching me. Somebody's touching my shoulder as he was sitting on a chair in one of the rooms. And Sherry tried to communicate with the ghost who is uh, believed to be a woman called Lydia, which I will get into when I cover this location. Mm -hmm. And Sherry said, did you just touch my friend's shoulder? We're not here to harm you. We're not here to tell you to leave. And then Meatloaf adds, we're here to give you love. And as he said this, the device he was holding to like the the EMF reader, it lit up. Oh, it's like, I love love. Love, love. Uh, and then in another scene, Meatloaf can be seen asking the team if they spotted a shadow figure walking by a door in the house. He said, did somebody just come in that door? Is there somebody there? And Haas said, uh, a second ago, I could see a light in the fridge and it blocked out. So Haas and Meatloaf both saw something moving through the house. The singer adds, no, I saw it. Keep it coming. Don't be afraid. Oh, what a, what a genuinely good spirit. I know. And this was not Meatloaf's only experience with the paranormal. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Lifetime show, The Haunting of? I don't think so. So I can't remember what the show was. We talked about a show in like a really early episode that used to talk about haunting of celebrities. Yes. This is not that show, but it's the same premise. Is it older? No, it's newer than the old. Because the old one we talked about, I think, was like early 90s. This was... This is a show that's still happening. Oh, yeah. I don't have cable. I wouldn't have watched it. So um, Lifetime show called The Haunting of dot, 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 and then they'll put, you know, a celebrity in there. Uh, The Haunting of shows psychic medium Kim Russo uh, running interference between the spirit world and celebrities. People who have been on the show include Regis Philbin, Feruza Balk, 
Barry Bostwick, <laughs> Sally Struthers, Wayne Newton, Tom Green, and Meatloaf. What a weird collection of celebrities. <laughs> well, I suppose you got to catch the ones that are willing to admit they believe in ghosts. Yeah. And then, like, go on a TV show about it. Yeah. According to the show, Meatloaf has had a supernatural experience while recording his legendary Bad Out of Hell album. Um, when he was there with songwriter Jim Steinman and producer Todd Rundgren in 1976, he said a ghost appeared to him at the house he was staying in, adjacent to Bearsville Studios, a recording facility located just, located just outside of Woodstock, New York. Okay. It goes like this. One night, Meatloaf saw a ghostly woman in white walk past his window. And he was like, okay, it's a Todd Rungan groupie. He thought it was just a woman wandering around trying to, like, get into the house. That makes sense, yeah. And then the, the one of the articles I was reading makes a point to go, the episode fails to point out if Meatloaf, who eventually had a well-documented drug addiction, was on anything at the time. But in a 2012 interview in Tone Deaf, Meatloaf jokingly dismissed drugs or his many concussions he'd suffered as a reason he'd see the ghost. He was like, I was not high. This I was, was not a ghost. High. I hadn't even had all those concussions yet. Exactly. So he sees this woman in white, but that's the first time he sees it, he kind of brushes it off. Mm -hmm. But soon after, he had a second encounter with, and then he said it felt more malevolent. Oh. Like, it was an entity that slammed closet doors and ripped the covers off of his bed. Out of fright, he did something crazy that should have killed him, and he popped a ton of Steinman's sleeping pills so that he could keep sleeping so he could keep recording. That seems very drastic. Yeah. Obviously, he survived, but, you know, 70s Meatloaf was not making a lot of Good smart choices, choices yeah. but that was his ghostly experience in this house while he's trying to record Bad Out of Hell. Okay. And it worked. I mean, he went on to record that amazing best-selling album. Kim Russo, the medium of the show, who predicts that Meatloaf's return to Bearsville may could be connected to what's going on in his life now. At the time of the episode, he was getting ready for another album. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can use that as a reason for him to have a show to promote the album. Right. But also, she's saying that because you're recording another album, it, it might just be as big as Bad Out of Hell. It was not. As big as bad. I was going to say but. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but I don't remember I think, another album. I think that's what she was hinting at there. And she stands in front of the allegedly haunted house and declares that her head and chest hurt, and wonders, "What is this holy hell?" It's very obviously dramatized, right? Because it's a lifetime show. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the narration is cheesy, but honestly, what do we expect? It's lifetime, and it's still totally mild compared to say the shit that people do on ghost adventures. So, yeah. <laughs> which which says something. <laughs> well, knowing things that are uh, often not fully trusted doing uh, haunted TV shows, it should still also be noted that multiple equipment failures occurred during the shoot, and those are blamed on the ghost. So, just random equipment failures while they're trying to record this. During their visit, Kim says that there is a good ghost in, in the house, and she attributes this to the woman in white. Uh, apparently, she died after falling from a tree nearby. The episode does a quick flash of a newspaper article to back up the claim. I couldn't really read it. It was not well-defined. Uh, but so I hear some newspaper. 
Yep. But I did find something that fits the timeline in uh, the New York Times from September 9th of 1969. Okay. Um, titled, Fall Kills a Model While on an Outing. And the article starts, Woodstock, New York, September 8th. A 22-year-old red-headed girl who was one of the world's leading fashion models fell to her death from a pine tree yesterday while on an outing with a group of friends near here. I mean, that basically sounds like it. So, yeah. yeah. It's the right city. It's uh-huh. the right timeline. Uh-huh. Uh, I did not have access to the archives, so I couldn't read the whole story. But I did. I was able to find an article that backs up the tree claim. Okay. And so that's the ghost that they're saying is a good ghost. Uh, there also is the, she's saying that the encounter that he had with the closet doors slamming and the covers being ripped off, mm-hmm. that is a separate ghost that is more malevolent. In the episode, Kim speaks with both ghosts Meatloaf encountered, as well as the spirit of Meatloaf's mother, and encourages him to close up some loose ends so that he can move on. If you do not do what you are supposed to do in life, she tells Meatloaf, the universe will do it for you. At this point, uh, the article, an article criticizing the show on Gizmodo says, Meatloaf, who is visibly and or pretending to be frightened out of his mind throughout the episode, though he claims I don't get spooked, admits, I have no idea what I hope to get out of this, but it's not hard for the skeptical and cynical viewer to see why he's there, a.k.a. The album release. The album, yep. yep. But here's the thing. While they're saying he was conveniently working on an album at the new time as a way to promote it, he can also still believe in God. Two things can be true at the same time, Gizmodo article writer guy. Right. I mean, maybe he was pretending because this woman seems very fake. Uh, but he obviously believes in ghosts yeah. because he loves the Tapstein. Yeah. Because, and he's been very vocal about believing in ghosts. You're, right. You're allowed to believe in ghosts and also, you know, go on promotional shows to promote your album. You do what you got to do. Sometimes you go on your podcast and plug a music like festival you're a part of. You know, you just. <laughs> Two things can be true at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Meatloaf explained to Shortlist in 2012 that he regularly spoke to paranormal entities, admitting, I believe there's something when you die because there are ghosts. I've seen them. I've been around them. Some are just energy left behind and some are intelligent. Which is kind of stuff we've talked about, like yeah. something like an echo versus a spirit with a purpose. Right, Exactly. So, Meatloaf, I hope wherever you are, it's the place you want to be. And if you want to be out haunting your fans, I hope that's what you get to do. And, you know, you could stop by for a visit over here. We believe in you. If you want to rest easy and observe from the afterlife, I hope you get to do that, too. You were great, funny, and apparently very nice, and your music is fucking rad. I would do anything to meet you, Meatloaf. But she won't use a Ouija board. <laughs> no, she won't use a Ouija board. That is very true. You are I correct. Do anything for love. And okay, I love meatloaf. Now I'm going to listen to Paradise on the dashboard light on my drive home, and Good. I'm going to scream it. Good. That's the only way to sing those parts. Okay, I cannot picture that song in my head, but we'll play. I gotta it. know right now. Do you love me? Will you love me forever? Do you need me? Will you never uh, leave? Da, 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 da. Copyright. <laughs> Copyright notice. <laughs> We're fine. We're fine. You can cut most of that out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then just something that I thought was interesting. On a personal note, his version of It's All Coming Back to Me Now mm-hmm. is amazing. I like the Celine Dion version. Uh-huh. I love the meatloaf version. It's better. I'm I'm saying it. It's better. And apparently there's some drama behind that. I found that in the uh like looking up I was doing for this article. Mm-hmm. Uh Meatloaf wanted the song for himself. According to one version of the story, Steinman and Meatloaf agreed to record I'll Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that for 1993's Bad Out of Hell 2 instead of It's All Coming Back to Me Now, saying that he would save that for Meatloaf for Bad Out of Hell 3. And then he gave it to Celine Dion. But then, yeah, he gave it to uh, he gave it to Celine Dion because she was supposed to be recording the song Falling Into You. And uh, and then they gave her, yeah, they gave her uh, It's All Coming Back to Me Now instead. Drama. Meatloaf sued, but Steinman won, and Dion was able to record her version, and it became the massive hit that it is now. Right. Meatloaf eventually recorded his own version of the song for 2006's Bat Out of Hell 3, but as a duet with Marion Raven. And he told Billboard magazine that he was still bitter that Dion got to it first. That was my song. I wanted to record it for Bat 2, and Jim said, let's wait for Bat 3, and I took him at his word. The next thing you know, Celine Dion is recording it. What a dick. And then to add insult to injury, when Falling Into You was released, several critics invoked Meatloaf's name with regards to the Steinman Penn song, including the Toronto Sun, which said, it sounds like Meatloaf's reject. (laughs) But if you haven't listened to Meatloaf's version of It's All Coming Back to Me Now, you should check it out. It's better than Celine Dion's version. I said it. I stand by it. (laughs) Okay. And that is The Haunting of Meatloaf. I love that. I love that he believes in ghosts. I love that he's friends with Taps. Uh, rest in peace, Meatloaf. On a skeptic scale of para to normal, yeah. para being five, normal being one, how much do you believe that Meatloaf is haunted? I believe that he's had paranormal experiences. I, do, I don't believe that whatever that lady in that TV show was saying. So I'm yeah. I don't think it's a stretch to, I don't think it's a stretch to be critical of a lifetime TV show. I yep 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 yep. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I'm gonna give Meatloaf's experiences with the paranormal over the course of his life a four point five. I yep. I was gonna go four. Yeah. Cool. I mean, there is the very very small chance he makes it all up for promotions, but honestly. He seems like he really enjoys it. He really enjoys it. And, like, why would he be on Ghost Hunters, like, multiple times if he didn't really believe it? Right. Because it's not like Ghost Hunters is his target audience for promoing. It's really not. From watching the clips, it seems like he just really likes that team and was stoked to be in an episode. Yeah. So, four, yep, four and 4.5. Sounds about right. Awesome. All right. What do you got for me? I am going to tell you today about Dead Woman's Crossing. Okay. Yeah. And before I start, I wanted to give a little shout out to Atlas Obscura, Wikipedia, and HauntedRooms.com since they were my primary sources for this. Um, And it actually starts out with a pretty wild story. Okay. I'm here for it. All right. So on July 7th, 1905, a 29-year-old woman named Katie DeWitt James boarded a train in Custer City, Oklahoma, to go visit her cousin in Payne County. 
She had just filed divorce from her abusive husband named Martin, like, the day before. Good job. I know. Good for you, girl. Like, you don't need to put up with none of that nonsense. And she's like, I'm going to take my 14-month-old baby girl, Lulu Bell, and we're going to go visit family. We're Lulu gonna... Bell. That's a cute name. I know, right? Lulu Bell. So she's like, we're just going to get away from all this drama. And her father, Henry DeWitt, came to bid her farewell at the train station. Okay. So from Custer City to Payne County, it's only like a two and a half hour drive. And so even if we take into account the train route and all the stops, it would not have been a very long journey. Mm -hmm. They aren't that far away from each other, but Henry DeWitt had been waiting to hear from Katie that she made it home safely or she made it to her cousin's house safely. However, weeks passed. And I'd be, I'd be freaking out at that point. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess phones existed. Telegraphs existed. Maybe he was waiting for a letter. I don't know. But still. Yeah. Two and a half hours away. Yep. Wouldn't take that long. So a few weeks passed and there was no word from Katie or his granddaughter, Lulu Bell. So Henry hired a detective named Sam Bartel to try and find them. And after some time of investigating, he came back to Henry with a very bizarre story. So instead of staying on the train and arriving in Payne County, for some strange reason that we still don't know, Katie and Lulu Bell got off the train in Weatherford, Oklahoma, which again, this is by today's driving standards, is only about a 23-minute drive from where she got on the train. So really close. Really close. And according to witness accounts, she was accompanied by a woman named Fanny Norton, who was, quote-unquote, a notorious prostitute. (laughs) Which, like, what does that even mean? Like, like a notorious prostitute. Well, I mean, you're famous. Like, isn't notoriety, like... Famous, but famous for bad reasons. Yeah, so I don't know if she was notorious because she was a sex worker, uh, or if that's like that's or her occupation. Just like, like, or is like she notorious and she's she a happened, sex worker? That's like, what I was gonna say. Like, is she a notorious criminal as well as a sex worker? I'm not really sure, <laughs> but she got off the train with notorious prostitute <laughs> Fanny Norton. And according to witness accounts, Katie, Lulu Bell, and Fanny uh, were all seen getting into a buggy. Uh, Evidently, Katie and Fanny had met on the train, and then they just left the train station together. Hey, sometimes you meet a person, and it's an instant connection. You're like, you? We got this. Yeah. 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 Like, we're besties. We are now besties. We are now besties. Let's go for a ride in a buggy. Yep. And they were roommates. And they were Anything but lovers. Because history hates Hates lovers. lovers. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So then, okay, there are varying accounts of this. Most of them said that like a few hours later. Others say that it was like a day later. Like they went to someone's house and spent the night and came back. I'm going to go by the idea that it was just a couple of hours later. So a couple of hours go by and then Fanny returns to the train station. Uh, But she's alone. So Sam Barton hears this part of the story, and he's thinking, notorious prostitute, something seems fishy here. Uh, uh, uh. Katie is a very uh, newly singled school teacher, mm-hmm. and what is she doing with this notorious prostitute, Fanny Norton? 
So he continued his investigation to try and find out where the women went together. And he found more witnesses that claimed that Fanny had taken the pair via buggy for a ride down to Deer Creek. And they were there for just about like an hour, Mm -hmm. like not a extreme amount of time um, before Fanny was then seen again, this time without Katie. But she did have Lulu Bell with her. Wait, notorious prostitute has Lulu Bell? Yes. But not mama. Not mama. Not not 29-year-old school teacher mama. Okay, so I'm thinking the notoriety is not the prostitution. I think she's (laughs) a shitty person. Yeah. So she apparently dropped off Lulu Bell with someone. Again, there are varying accounts as to where the baby went. uh, But whatever, Lulu Bell is safe. Uh, But no one seems to know what happened to Katie. There were, again... Varying accounts of some pretty damning evidence that nefarious things had happened. Some of the sources said that the baby was unharmed, but covered in blood. Just a bloody baby. Others say that they noticed blood on the buggy's wheels. Though, apparently, nobody thought to say anything about this until Sam Barton came and asked them. (laughs) So, I don't know what's real and what is just sensationalized for the story. Anyway... Uh, Detective Barton found Miss Fanny Norton herself, and he took her into custody to question her about Katie's whereabouts. She denied any involvement of foul play, but not long after being questioned, she poisoned herself, obviously unaliving herself, and then they weren't able to find out what happened to Katie. Oh, my God. I know. Okay, so the next August comes around, and a man is out fishing in Deer Creek with his son when he discovers a fully clothed skeleton under the wooden wagon crossing, which is like a bridge that's over the creek. Mm -hmm. And the skull for the skeleton was found about three feet away with a bullet just behind the right ear, having been severed from the body. Oh, my God. And a thirty-eight caliber gun was just discarded nearby. After examining the body, it was determined to be that of 29-year-old Katie DeWitt James, who had somehow been led down to the creek, shot, killed, beheaded, beheaded, and her baby was then taken away. Is this like an elaborate ruse to kidnap the kid? I have no idea. Because Lulu Bell, again, was found safe, and she was put into the custody of her father, Martin. Yeah, so it wasn't a kidnapping. Right. Because Fanny would have just taken off with Lulu Bell. Right. And kept her. This all, none of this makes any sense. I know. So Katie's Murdy. <laughs> Katie's Murdy. <laughs> Katie's Murdy. I know. So Katie's Murdy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We Noon is our cutoff. Never before noon. <laughs> Never before noon. Okay. <laughs> we've learned we've we've learned our threshold. This is where we're at. It's too early. <laughs> okay. I need a drink of orange juice after that one. If you say Murdy one more time. The word I was looking for was murder. (laughs) So Katie's murder has never actually been officially solved because Miss Fanny Norton unalived herself. herself. Yeah. 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 So 
Eventually, the uh, wooden wagon crossing was torn down and a concrete bridge was built nearby, after which uh, it was given the tragic moniker of Dead Woman's Crossing. Oof. According to local legend, Katie's ghost now roams the bridge and the creek below, searching for her daughter and calling out her name. Oh. Others claim to see a blue formless light floating near the bridge uh, that has started to approach them when they're out there doing like ghost investigations. And according to one source, there are even stories of seeing shadow figures and ghosts reenacting the murder itself. Oh, could you imagine being stuck in that loop? Ugh, awful. 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 Um, And although the wooden bridge has been torn down some 80 years after the murder, it is said that if you're quiet, you can still hear the sounds of wagon wheels crossing the old wooden bridge, which is there no more. Wow. And that is the story of Dead Woman's Crossing. Okay. Okay. Wild story, right? Yeah. Like, still doesn't make sense, and I'm mad that Fanny is dead. So that we never we, got we don't any know what answers. Happened. We got no answers. Oh, that's the most annoying thing. So I was talking to Sean about this, right? Okay. We one of our favorite shows, BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> <Nerdy. laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Came back to me. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. It's all getting tied in. Um so BuzzFeed Unsolved. BuzzFeed Unsolved. We love it, right? Shane, Ryan, beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love BuzzFeed Unsolved Supernatural, but he likes the straight up just like mystery ones. Yeah. And I'm like, how? How is anybody satisfied when there's no answer? I, same. I actually, I love the Supernatural ones. I do like the mystery ones, but then I get really, really mad. Because you don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. And everyone who's like involved in it is already gone. Yep. And there's just no way to figure it out. At least with the ghost ones, you can get like a... Like a spirit box in there and maybe get some answers, but it still remains unsolved. And I don't like that. Mm-mm. But Mm-mm. I, for the unsolved, like, aspect, yeah, I'm going to, on the skeptic scale, I'm going to give this a five. Oh, thank you. Because that would be a reason to stay and haunt something. Well, that's what I was thinking, especially with you mentioning that there are spirits that it's like it's like an echo of the... Of the the murder, mm-hmm. there's no resolution. There's it's it's the definition of unfinished business. Exactly. She never got to see like her. And daughter. she doesn't know that her daughter ended up back with Martin. Right. You and know? also, Martin apparently was abusive. Yeah. Exactly. Like, there's no good situation here. Right. Right. So, I, for that reason, I will fully believe that that bridge is haunted. You know what? I'm gonna match you. I'm also going to give it a five. Okay. Yeah. Love it. Love Beautiful. Well, we're going to continue on with the uh, the kind of transportation theme we've got going here because you had a you had a bridge. Mm-hmm. That was used to yep. get, get transportation thingies across to other sides of creeks. And now, and knowing that we were going to have a couple of shorter stories this week, yeah, I have a third story prepared. Let's do it. And I'm going to talk. You were talking about bridge. I'm going to talk about a road. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, a bridge is part of a road. There you go. Yeah, it's all where it's, it's all, all coming, coming together. together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's so early, guys. <laughs> so Phantom Canyon Road 
is one of the most scenic and historic drives in Colorado. Okay. It's uh, actually probably the whole western United States. It's one of the most considered one of the most scenic ones. Oh, pretty. This unpaved scenic road connects Canyon City and Victor going through Phantom Canyon and increases in elevation from 5,500 to 9,500 feet. It is a detour off the popular Gold Belt Tour Scenic and Historic Byway. Jam. And it features green-spotted canyon walls and twisty turns lying up atop what was once a, like, powerhouse railroad. Okay. So it's, it's, you're never taking this because you are trying to get somewhere fast. Like, it is the mm. definition of off the beaten path type It's, of it's thing. literally for the view and not Nothing for else. really transportation. Yep. So, uh, the Powerhouse Railroad was the Florence and Cripple Creek Railroad connecting the 1800s mining district of Cripple Creek, Canyon City, and Florence. Okay. The road is 29.6 miles long and has a couple of hand-cut stone tunnels and three elevated old steel and wooden bridges. According to one of my favorite websites, DangerousRoads.com. <laughs> that would be one of your favorite websites. <laughs> the road climbs gently the entire way. The route contains many narrow roads and high wooden bridges, and it's popularly used for mountain biking and off-roading. Okay. Ghost towns of Wilbur, Adelaide, and Glenbrook, to name a few, that washed away in flash floods or dissipated as a result of the slowing economy after the railroad closed in 1912, are eerily present throughout the whole, like, 29.6-mile drive. Okay, so you're you're driving on this windy, twisty road that's really pretty, and then every once in a while you come across a ghost town, essentially? Yeah, like, just, like, but, like, remnants the of remnants a ghost The remnants of town. it, because some of them washed, washed away. away. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll let you decide if that's the significance of the word phantom in Phantom Canyon Road, because they don't really give a reason for why. It's called Phantom Canyon Road. So we, we're, we're like, some people theorize that it's because of these ghost towns, but they don't know that for sure. And that's interesting because phantom and ghosts, I don't see them as the same right. thing. But a lot of people do use them interchangeably. Huh. Okay. Um, some believe it's actually named after an 1890s ghost sighting of a man wearing a prison uniform walking along the tracks. Oh. The passengers who spotted the man claim he was executed at Colorado State Penitentiary a few days prior. Oh, oh, okay. So, engineers of narrow-gauge railroads like Florence and Cripple Creek Railroad uh, excelled at navigating sharp, narrow turns and steep, unguarded drop-offs. As the road slowly gains in elevation from the 55 to 9,500 feet, you'll squeeze through two tunnels that were, like, carefully and meticulously chiseled out of this dense mountainous terrain, by miners making room for the booming gold industry. Mm -hmm. Atlas Obscura brings up a good point that Phantom Canyon Road illustrates perfectly how places get their names is often a subject of debate. Right. Like we were kind of already talking about. But it can be pretty important to know the real reason why. Actual origins get lost over time, and when it comes to locations like Phantom Canyon Road, the difference can mean an educational historical experience that's straight out of a Western movie, mm -hmm. complete with, you know, the ghost towns or experiences with a ghost of a more literal kind. Right. The road full of twists and turns begins at that railroad, and then that was built in 1894. With a narrower than standard track width, this type of railway was designed to handle mountain's sharp curves. 
when the mining boom first hit the region, the only way these mining districts were able to get things around was through horse-drawn wagons over rough roads. Some 1,200 workers were hired to construct the railway, difficult work that often meant blasting through rock. Mm -hmm. And over a period of just six months, the crew built 40 miles of track, including two tunnels and several bridges, only one of which is still standing today. Wait, two tunnels in six months? Tunnels, bridges, and 40 miles of track. I don't know if I would trust that. That's really fast to be blasting into rock. And and then therein is the next part here. Like you're 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 right in the right mindset because the railway suffered regular accidents almost immediately. And because they were rushing. They were going through this trying to just push it through because of the boom. Also, you said that the the tracks were narrower. Yes. And you, wouldn't wider be safer if you're, like, going around corners? Uh, Not for the way they have to navigate them, I guess. Okay. Like, I think I, I know what you're saying. It'd be tippy. But I think from what I, from what I can kind of gather, it's because they can then build them narrower so that they can get in more spaces. Oh, like, if they're okay. wider, they're not going to always fit. It's kind of what I would assume. Oh, okay. Um, so just one day after opening, a train derailed, <sighs> resulting in a uh, resulting in a death. Weather woes plagued the line, and washouts were a regular occurrence. As mining operations grew in nearby Colorado Springs, which had a larger standard gauge line that allowed for a shorter trip, the Florence and Cri- Cripple Creek Railroad's business declined. Its final hours came on July 21st, 1912, when a flood washed out 12 bridges, five miles of track, and several towns in the area. Why would anyone live here? Like, we may live where the air hurts our face, but we don't... We're not just suddenly getting washed away all the time. (laughs) Just that one time in 2012. Yeah. We mostly came back. The tracks uh, were eventually removed, and in 1918, the formal railway was converted to a public road. The towns and the spaces they left behind may have been the source of the Phantom Canyon name. The other possibility comes from that local legend we were talking about in the 1890s. Mm -hmm. On a night run, the railroad crew was headed towards Cripple Creek when they spotted a man walking alongside the tracks. While this is not normal by any means, it was not unheard of. Yeah. Uh, People, no matter how ill-advised it is, will always find themselves walking along railroad tracks because you know it's heading somewhere. Exactly. You're not just wandering around aimlessly. But once they got a little closer, they saw something that gave them pause. He wore a prison uniform with his number clearly visible on the back. And they immediately start, like, questioning. They're like, what could have happened? Was there a, like, prison breakout? Yeah. Did one person escape? Were there more around? And this person was, like, there to catch you off guard or something. They hadn't heard anything recently, but you never know. Right. So the engineer, once the train reached Cripple Creek Station, reported the sighting to the nearby Colorado State Penitentiary in Canyon City. Okay. He's like, hey, you might have lost someone. We saw them on, like, near the tracks. He provided them with that uniform number that was clearly visible and that multiple crew members had seen. Okay. To his shock, he was informed that the prisoner and his crew, that he and his crew had seen, had been executed a few days before at the prison. They're like, yeah, it can't be Jim. Yeah. He, he, we, we took Jim's care of gone. him like a couple of Jim, days ago. Jim gone. Jim's gone. 
So, yeah, it wasn't him. Uh, for the record, Cass Cairns, the uh, Bureau Land Management Royal Gorge Field Office, found a reference to the origins of Phantom Canyon in the book The Florence and Crivel Creek and Golden Circle Railroads by Tevis Wilkins. The author quotes a 1905 news story recording the description of the canyon by artist John Sanford that says, The walls are not so high and imposing as those of the Grand Canyon, but are more picturesque and fantastic as well to deserve the name Phantom. So basically, this one random thing from 1905 says that an author was like, it's picturesque and deserves the name Phantom. So that might be an origin story Weird. as well. Weird. Um, with all these washouts of trains, planes, automobiles, bridges, towns. Um, <laughs> planes. <laughs> you know, I hate it when planes get washed out. Um, did, how, how many people died there? Like I don't, and I don't know. See, I mean, I could, I could see with all of these tragic things that a lot of people died as a result, and maybe that's why it's called Phantom. Well, that same quote from that same author ends with: "Any person blessed with a lively imagination can people its fantastic rocks piled high in serried columns with all sorts of phantoms, goblins, and ghosts." So basically, saying. You can see this area, and you can easily imagine ghosts here. So, th- th- these are just theories as to why it's called. I know that, I don't but... like that author, though. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. I don't like it. I always seem to not like one single aspect of your story that makes me mad. <laughs> um, Charlotte Baumgartner, the executive director of the Gold Belt Tour Scenic and Historical Byway Association, and a local that grew up in the area. She has gone there visiting for picnics and hikes all her life, thinks that the canyon's name may have a less beautiful, more money-making origin to it. Mm. In the early years of the 20th century, the railroad, by then dubbed Gold Belt Line, had become increasingly popular with tourists interested in the mining camps near Cripple Creek, and the route may have been called Phantom Canyon simply as part of an early advertising campaign. Oh, that makes sense. And then it just kind of stuck. With its sharp turns and unguarded drop-offs, if this is a place you are going to visit, which you are welcome to, it's open to the public, uh, you got to go slow to enjoy yourself there and be safe. Mm -hmm. Like uh, another site to keep an eye out for is the last remaining bridge, the Adelaide Bridge, which spans Eight Mile Creek. The steel architectural landmark is an official site on the National Register of, of Historic Places. Something about having a historic bridge just makes me really nervous. I know, because they're probably haunted. Well, I was going to say because it's really old. <laughs> okay, you can have a historic bridge, but keep it up to code. Okay, I mean, I would hope that they would. I feel like that would be illegal not to. <laughs> um. So, essentially, there's multiple reasons why this road might be called Phantom Canyon Road. Mm-hmm. It could be a money-making scheme. It could be I mean, it this weird... it scheme. That's just tourism. It could be this weird author's strange quotes. Or... <laughs> it's so... Yeah. I don't like it because I don't like his quotes. <laughs> or it could be a prisoner, escaped ghost prisoner. Or... You know what? You brought up a very good point that it could just be, like, how many people died because of the washouts. Yeah. There's tons of reasons. So we'll leave it up to y'all to decide whether or not Phantom Canyon Road has actual phantoms. 
ghosts. Yeah, I, I used yeah. it interchangeably with ghosts there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You, 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 yeah, yeah. Sorry. sorry. I got it. No, I like <laughs> it. I like it. <laughs> it's funny because I was like, historic, I, I was thinking historic bridges. Just because they're historic doesn't mean they're not great. I was like, like the London Bridge is really good. And then I thought of the fact that there's literally a song called London, London Bridge, Bridge is falling, falling down. down. Falling down. <laughs> I was, and I was like, oh, wait, that's a really bad example. And that's why I didn't say it. But I still wanted to let you know. But there are tons of historic bridges, like uh, like uh, that San Francisco Bridge. Yes. What's it called? Golden Gate? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You that's, know, that one in San Francisco. That, the one everybody knows. The big they one. And then there's all the bridges, like, uh, in Manhattan. Yes. Like, the Brooklyn, like, all of those bridge bridges yeah. are very old. You just got to maintain them, and you're fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike London Bridge, which apparently it's just falling falls down. down. <laughs> My fair lady. <laughs> well, y'all, it's been a weird morning. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry if we went a little off the rails today. Uh, but off the rails? Oh, train humor. <laughs> Unintentional. Yeah. Um, uh, Cuz it happened a lot in Phantom Canyon. People went off the rails. Oh my god. People died, Brittany. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> Is it too soon? Is the eighteen hundreds too, too soon? soon. <laughs> I don't know. It depends on what subject it is. Honestly, some people get really upset when you bring up, like, do you know, there are people that get upset if you joke about Jack the Ripper. Too soon. I'm like, too soon. Too soon. Wasn't that eighteen hundreds? Yeah. 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 If you go see Sean's band at on Friday at Studio Four for Homegrown, he has a song called Jack the Ripper. It's really good. All right. Well, I'll have to go see Narwhals then. So yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to help keep us focused and on track, <laughs> you can do so by submitting story suggestions, your own personal paranormal experiences, anything like that, to us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail dot com. You can also go to our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page. Or you can get there through the link tree in our bio. You can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. If we are this tired now, how are we going to get through Homegrown? Dude, it hasn't even started yet. (laughs) I have no idea. It's going to be a hell of a ride. But I would do anything for Homegrown. And I will not sleep. Oh, no, I will not sleep. It's going to be a lot of uh, bubbler and coffee for me. Energy drinks all day, baby. Uh, Yep. I'm going to have a heart attack by the end of this fucking week. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. (laughs) I'm here for it. You're here for it. We're all here for it. Thank you for joining us this Spooky Wednesday. We love you all very much and appreciate you. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. Okay. Bye. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!